0: Hey everyone, this is Tom. Welcome to episode 15 of The Great Divide. This is part two of our ongoing discussion about the Seer album, part two of three to be exact. And we are just going to jump right in where we left off last time, talking about the song, The Teacher. So I hope you enjoy it. The Teacher, um, that track on the album,
1: um,
2: Why did you write there? I don't know. If asking somebody why they write something is like... Or asking a writer why they write something is... is... A bit like asking them why they go to the toilet or why they eat food, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just... Writing has, has become a uh, part of me. Do you have to write every day? Um, sometimes, yeah. If I'm in, in that frame of mind, I do. Sometimes not. I prefer to do it from inspiration rather than sit down and slog my guts out and do it.
1: Was it written for anyone?
2: <clears throat> um, Not in particular, no. As I say, it, 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 it was... Uh, it was based just on, on a mood sort of thing that uh, seemed to tie in quite well with with the underlying you know, of learning from a past and, and just a certain quest for for knowledge and finding out and understanding.
3: Ah, uh, uh, history! Ah, uh, <laughs>
0: Okay, so The Teacher, we've got, uh, this, which was the second single off of this album. And, you know, we're talking about singles, and i got to say, much as I didn't think The Seer would have made a good single, I think this is a, a very poor choice as a single. Um, and and say, saying that, I absolutely love this song. I think it's a great song, but I think it's a bad single choice. I, there's just nothing about this song to me that screams radio play. Uh, but that being said, I think this is a great song, and... Um, fits in perfectly with the theme of the album and really fits in perfectly as a, as a almost a little sequel, in, in a sense, to the seer. Um, maybe almost too much because it's almost like this is the song about the male seer. Uh, the character that Stuart is singing about in the song seems almost like a, a prophet as well, just like the Kate Bush character of the, of the preceding song. This is another great example, kind of like what I said about Look Away. This is another great example of a song that sounded fresh and different and new from from anything we'd really heard from big country before but it was still clearly big country and what i mean by that specifically is like for example the guitar lines that begin the song it almost sounds like something you would hear in the theme of a wild west type of movie whenever i hear that yeah
4: it reminds me of rawhide
0: Yes, it does I was thinking Bonanza, which was another American show, but rawhide definitely it's it's got that old West type of feel and it's just it, I'd never you know you never really heard big country play that before but mm. it, it worked for me yeah,
4: in um, some ways this foreshadows a lot of the country/ slash civilian inspirations that came later. It kind of does and you know for this song, um, another example of
0: what I think is the standout of on this album and I think was really needed for this album as a breath of fresh air from steel town and and that's the these clean guitars these beautiful clean guitars that go throughout this album and even though they're they're clean and they're pristine sounding they they still have an edge to it i mean to me this song still has an edge even though it's a musically i think it's a gorgeous song um you know when i listen to this i I often talk about steel town i always call it a, a guitar symphony because there are so many layers of guitars and to me each one works even though maybe that was by accident i don't know but i know the band themselves even kind of distance themselves from the, the way that album sounds but to me it's like a masterpiece of guitar symphony well I, I hear a lot of that on the teacher i mean when you listen to this song in headphones and when you especially listen to one of the 12 inch mixes of this song which i can't remember which one it was maybe the mystery mix oh god um, <laughs> <laughs> i if, if it's if it's the one i'm talking about, it. To me, it's it's one of the best big country 12 inch mixes around because they they you can you can almost hear every little part they bring in one at a time and you can you can really get a feel for for the the guitars that went into this song. I mean, at times it almost sounds like um it almost sounds like violins playing in the background and just the way that it's it's put together. This is another song that, again, lyrically very similar to the seer. So you could you could maybe make a make a complaint about it from that standpoint. Um, I don't have a problem with that really. For me, the chorus is is just incredibly catchy. I don't know what it is about it. Again, I don't think it. I know that kind of contradicts what I said about it being a single, but it's not single catchy. But there's just something I love about cranking the song up and singing along to the all of history part, especially, you know, all of history and, you know, that whole chorus, it's just something really great about, for me, the way that chorus goes and the harmonies that Stuart is singing there. I
3: just think
0: this is, another great song on this album. I mean, this is, this is one of the standout tracks from me. It's one of my favorite songs on the album, but I definitely would not have chosen it as a single.
4: On that point, we do agree. Uh, yeah, this album, it really is a mix so far. It starts with a lightweight pop rock song. And then you have this heavily mythical and folk inspired tune. And now we have this moody atmospheric song and, uh, yeah, like we mentioned, the the rawhide uh, guitar thing—it's <laughs> uh, certainly new <laughs> on a big country album. Yeah, um, it's a likable song. I would not call it a stellar song. It's sort of for me in uh, what I call no man's land in the album—not necessarily a bad place to be. Uh, I think this album has a bunch of tracks that are fantastic, a bunch of tracks that are good, and some tracks that are throwaway compared to what they they should have been. Uh, so this is in the middle group, and uh, I, I, I sort of I'm, I'm thinking as I hear you speak about how this is a continuation of the seer. I I really don't see that. I I really don't know how it could be. Um, it's uh, I know a you've lot of people. Kind of like a well, you've got kind of like a prophet guy who's foretelling the future and
0: the mysteries of the world and this type of thing. So it just.
4: But seems... this is a man and a woman that sits and chats or whatever during the night. There's no prophet. Well, who in the in the teacher? In the teacher, it's clearly a, a man singing the song. And have you seen the, the video though? Have you seen the video? The video makes no sense. Forget the video. The video <laughs> is uh, the, don't look for a, the video to, to explain the song. Uh, I actually have some quotes from Stuart about what this song is about, uh, which is very interesting and uh, somewhat disappointing to be honest. Uh, initially, he said well about he said something about the quest for spiritual enlightenment on the Hold the heart interview. But later on, he went much more hands-on. And I have this quote. This is from Sounds uh, in May 1990, where he said, I don't know where the song came from. I just wanted to write a weird song about a guy who sat up all night stoned, thinking (laughs) thinking he had a great idea when he actually didn't. And he followed up with an interview in Melody Maker just a week later, a song about getting stoned and pretending you discovered the meaning of life. (laughs) <laughs> so, and there are some allusions to this especially the opening line we talked and smoked all through the night right right and then uh, there's nothing more about that until the end of the second verse where he says uh, uh, you wove a tail in zinc- silken curls and blew the mist in silver swirls so that's again could be about smoking I never thought of it that way until I read those quotes uh, much much later uh, to me this uh, song is a filthy one it's about sex really? and uh, it's about sex this song is chock full of sexual innuendo you're insane it's, it's uh,
0: explain to me this
4: i will break it down for you because i know you need the teaspoon uh, feeding of uh, of what it is uh, but um yeah um look we have this young guy and we have an experienced woman this uh, th- when I say experience, that can be in any sense, whether it's spiritual enlightenment. And uh, this comes out in the, in the lyrics. Uh, they stay up all night. That much is clear. And she enlightens him in a, in a subject matter of which he has no prior knowledge, which means he's a virgin. And she is the teacher. So uh, it really isn't a stretch. We talked and smoked all through the night. So he's not going to say we made love all through the night. It's hinted at. So if people want to make it philosophical no. or something in that vein, it works very well. Well played, Stuart. And it, he, he continues, you led me for I had no sight. That's the line when you understand he has no experience. He's a virgin. <laughs> he, and it goes on, till song broke the morning light. Oh, yeah, they were busy all night, all right. And he was weak with strange delight. And of course, why wouldn't he be? He's weak, <laughs> exhausted after the all-night session. And we don't need to explain (laughs) the strange delights. Everybody has strange delights. And I'm sure he had a smile on his face, too. And And yet he wanted
0: this woman to explain to him the bond between the land and sea and all all of
4: history. I'll I'll get to that. You know, teacher, will you show to me the bond between the land and sea? What happens between the land and the sea? We have waves crashing up on the shore. We all know what that can be an allegory for. So I am new to mystery. I want everything laid out for me. Basically, yeah, he's saying, "Show me." You know, oh, the exp- word "laid." He he used the word "laid." You're exactly right. <laughs> it's uh, cleverly hinted at, <laughs> and it can mean anything. If you want it to mean spiritual enlightenment, it works perfectly. But uh, it's almost uh, too easy to pick on. But you, you get the picture. So I do, but I, I, I don't see I don't see it. I mean, you you, you don't you, want she, to see
0: it once you no, if he, if he would have said it, I would have I would agree. But I mean, you you, you definitely twisted them to make to fit your your version of the of the song.
4: No, But, but uh, there's nothing
0: no, from Stewart that that there's nothing from Stewart that suggests this is no, about sex.
4: No, there isn't. And in fact, he has quenched both of our interpretations. It's not about some spiritual enlightenment, it's not about sex, it's about getting stoned and thinking you discovered the secret of life. So, there you I have, wouldn't go by what he said in that
0: interview as as explaining the song. I, I would go by the song itself. I would go secondary by the video. And I know that they don't have necessarily they don't write the video and create the video necessarily, but they certainly approve of them.
2: What, what we try and do is uh, go to various directors that uh, that have been suggested to us with a with a copy of lyrics and a, to, to try and explain to them the, the, the basic idea for the song, and then they usually come back with a storyboard or something like that, and we pick the one that, that looks like it's at least bears some relevance to the, to the material and the and the actual lyrics. So I, I mean,
0: when I look at the video, I'm not thinking, "Oh, this is this is what he meant," but clearly that's what that's what the song is about if you go by the video. I mean you've got a guy who's who's the strange person who's coming in, he's got some sort of magical powers and he's teaching Stuart about this or that. Again, I'm not using the video to shape the song itself, but you to me be that's to me how could you not be serious? I mean that, that what you? What so I'm supposed to go by your interpretation versus no, no. an official band video and Stewart <laughs> and one comment that Stewart said about the song is about getting stoned.
4: It's actually I, two comments
0: okay he ha- so he how had did... one
4: in sounds one in the melody maker so he said it on several occasions that's what it's about and if but you look Stuart at it
0: Stewart always said things like that in interviews they, that that weren't necessarily as deep as deeply rooted as he wanted to get things across i yeah, mean that... at,
4: at least i'm open to his uh, meaning uh, you're in denial you're in complete denial
0: and... i i just know that he would not sit around writing a song that that was just about getting stoned i i even even though he said that in the interview, I refuse to believe that. I don't I don't believe that. Oh, come on! No, and I definitely don't don't subscribe to your interpretation.
4: The video really uh, is just a video. It's a uh, you know someone driving and you can see the road flashing by and uh, it doesn't relate to either interpretation. That's just some visuals. Hey,
1: doesn't it doesn't upset upset you that you know somebody else puts a, a visual interpretation on on your particular song?
4: Not not if it's a visual interpretation that I see
2: that is. As has some vague relation to, to things that are going on in the song. I think if somebody started turning up with teams of leggy blondes and hot rods, we'd have something to say about it. Not that there's anything wrong with leggy blondes and hot rods, just, I don't, uh, it's not one of my favorite songs, As
1: long as the leggy blondes are women.
0: For me, the, just the, when you take these lyrics in context with the album, when you take the lyrics in context with what, with what Stewart has said many times was the focus of the album and the and the emotions that he wanted to you know the album to convey i think it's i think to to look at it as a spiritual enlightenment type of song certainly makes the most sense
4: the thing about spiritual enlightenment is very natural to reach for for any big country fan because that's the kind of thing he would write about and it becomes almost shocking To discover that it might in fact be something much more down to earth and maybe not so poetic or deep after all. And uh, before I knew about this smoking dope stuff, I blew the mist in Silver's Whirl. That one almost made me blush. (laughs) 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 But, uh, but, But I've since recounted a bit. So I'm saying the sex thing sort of tongue in cheek. But that was what I thought about it i i did not necessarily go immediately for the spiritual enlightenment thing okay. so um but uh to talk about the song itself as well um uh, it's uh it is likable uh it certainly expands the musical palette of big country um it is the first song where we got hints of the countryish inspiration that would would become much more prevalent in later years uh, but it's definitely a big country song so uh yeah an interesting one Interesting lyrics, a very new type of song for big country, without really departing from their sound. Sounds like them, but they're playing around a bit. Yeah, And uh, I agree with you, it's not a single choice at all. I mean, uh, if if they released... um, It's kind of shocking, really, that they released this as a single. Yeah, very shocking. And if this could have been a single, there's no uh, defending, not putting out the seer. It's neither better or worse. It's uh you know if if the teacher can be a single the seer can be a single in my mind. Well, it's it's shorter. That's probably why. I mean it gets yeah, back I'm, to that. It's, I'm sure it's shorter
0: as it's shorter as it is, it didn't need any editing and I don't know what was going through their heads thinking this is going to be a single but
4: Maybe they were smoking too.
0: It, maybe they were,
4: maybe we're they having got sex. got from Kate Bush. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how would you rank it? Uh the teacher I have it at number 5. All right. I also have it at number five.
0: Ah, interesting.
2: This is uh,
1: another number from a uh, from new record. And this one is uh, quite pastoral and self self-search, searching. Try and speak again here self searching and intent. And whoa. It's called I Walk the Hill.
0: I'll Walk the Hill. You want to start on this one?
4: Yeah, I almost don't know what to make of this song. Uh, I regard it as the second song so far of three big country-ish pop rock songs on the album. No prizes for guessing the other ones, really. And this, uh, I think, is clearly the best of those three. Uh, on one hand, it's very nicely executed. It has all the trademarks. The title of the song brings images of big landscapes again. Always a plus. Uh, and it pushes a lot of the right buttons. But there definitely is an element of style over substance with this song Mm -hmm. okay scratch that it's not just an element it's totally style over substance but i like the style (laughs) that's what i can say about it but if you start picking on it and let's start with the lyrical content it feels a bit like scat lyrics which means stuff that is just sung on the spur of the moment to sort of fill the gap as the words occur in Stuart's mind Uh, it may not be far from the truth what do i know and I, I don't actually remember the source, uh, let me know if you do, but I read somewhere that the band said that this is a song that just started jamming, trying to play a typical big country song. So well, actually, we- I have
0: the actual quote here in front of me. Um, let me just read that real quick, just yeah. to set you up, because th- this, is, this comes from that article I mentioned before with Bruce, and he says, This started off as a parody of ourselves. We were sitting, thinking to ourselves, let's do a parody of Fields of Fire or something like that. So we just started playing these guitars on a typically big country style with a drum beat, and Tony playing typically COD work bass type stuff. And it actually ended up sounding quite good. We decided to use it, so what started out as a joke in a way turned out to be really good.
4: Mm. Yeah, exactly. And out of that, I Walk the Hill was born. So this is what happens when the band tries to sound like themselves just for fun. um, (laughs) uh, I kind of think we shouldn't analyze the lyrics too much. This is another one that isn't necessarily very deep, but the words go well together, and they do create imagery of Highlands, Scottish things. Um, Yeah, those kind of things. And I don't know if it's just me, but I have a feeling that this song could have done better as a single, maybe ironically, than both One Great Thing, The Teacher, and Hold The Heart. (laughs) So obviously this this is in hindsight. I know how well those other singles did, uh, but still... I always had that feeling when I first heard the album that, oh, this is of course, yeah, yeah. Of, of course this is gonna be the next one. I have to look away, but right. uh, for some reason that just didn't happen. So um, it, it, we've had so much to say about each song on the album so far. I, I don't have too much to say about this on a personal level. This song is clearly not a big country classic, but it's a decent album track, and I think we used the word good filler before and. Never has that tag fitted better on a song than, than right here. Uh, and that's exactly what this one is. It's a good album track, but definitely not a standout. Uh, obviously, it's, it works on some level. But um, a part of what I think is a shame is that the previous two albums, pretty much every song was a standout. And here we got an album where that wasn't the case anymore. So I'm not going to hold any ill feelings towards I Walk the Hill but it sort of fits the bill in being an album that was somewhat lesser. It, every song wasn't a standout. There were some songs that were just quite okay. So, um, this song is part of explaining why I hold this year to a much lesser esteem than the first two. Mm. So, that's I Walk the Hill. I Walk That Hill.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you a lot on this song. Um, I think I like it a little bit more than you do. But I, but there's no doubt this is a this is a filler type song. And yeah, the the good filler, I would say is is definitely an apt phrase here. And, you know, the fact that it started out as a parody, I mean, it, as them trying to do something that's in a big country, it, you almost can't escape the fact that it's going to turn into what it turned into, which is a good song. I like the song. I enjoy it. But Yeah, there's something that's quite – just not quite there. And on this album, I think eight of the songs I hold in incredibly high regard, and then there are two that are slightly lower. Um, This is one of the two, obviously. And I really still like the song. There's a lot of great stuff in it. Uh, there's, There's great bass playing in it again. Um in fact, listening to it again, I, I noticed that there's even harmony based parts where Tony's harmonizing with himself in, in the breakdown of this song. I think I could be wrong, but I think this might be the first shaw that we get in the album. <laughs> and uh, from Stuart. And there may be maybe one in the teacher too, but I'm not sure. But this song was really needed at this point in the album. It, the album, I think, is paced very well so far. We've got, you know, the look away. We've got the mysterious kind of seer, and then a equ- uh, equally mysterious type of song with the teacher. And we really needed something to kind of change the direction a little bit. And I think that's what this was. I mean, this is a very straightforward rock, big country rock song. And
4: I agree, we needed this style at this point in the album. Right. If, not, if not this song.
0: But maybe not this song, yeah. Um. You know, the the good things that I will say do stand out. I mean, I agree with about the, the lyrics. There are some things that are a little too, uh, a little bordering on cliché for Stuart, a little bit less from what his standards, his high standards usually are, like stand up, hold my hand, you know. But but then there are some great lines in it. And I've often wondered what he actually means by I walk the hill um, and what he's talking about. I mean, my favorite lines in the song are, I'm not as strong as I am told. It feels too long since I was bold. But you can lie in sheets of gold if I walk the hill. Touch me and I understand. We only write our names in sand. I could stand where legends stand if I walk the hill. And later in the song, he changes the you to we and he changes the I to we. So it's we can lie in sheets of gold and we could stand where legends stand. I wonder if he's talking about like uh, his his career there. I don't know. Like, um, you know, I'm not that strong. It's this is a tough life, but you know, it's a way I'm gonna make money for us and the whole idea of we write our names in sand, but I could stand where legends stand if I walk the hill. If I keep writing great songs, they will endure and people will always remember them. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's stretching it and maybe that's a little bit too much of a of an aloof or type of thing that Stuart maybe wouldn't even say. I could be totally off base, but that's one thing that struck me. Um the the one thing that I'll say about this song live that always bothered me though. I think they got it right on the studio version where at the end, and this is going to seem like a trivial thing, but to me, it's a, it's a relatively big thing. But at the end, Stewart says, stand up, hold my hand. And then he repeats, stand up, hold my hand. And that's how the song ends. I love that. But for some reason live, and we'll talk more about changing lyrics on this album when we talk about "I lead on. But for some reason, live, they would say.
3: Stand up my Stand here to me.
0: And they would end it that way. And for some reason, on a poetic basis, I always thought it worked much better to have that last line repeat, stand up, hold my hand, stand up, hold my hand. And I was always kind of disappointed when they played that song live and they ended it mm. that way. So there's my little big country minutiae moment.
4: Yeah, and uh, I was my disappointment was that they actually played it live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. there could have been
0: better choices,
4: definitely. Yeah, definitely. and uh, I mean, if they had chosen it as a single, which maybe they should have in some ways, uh, it, it reeks of singleness. But uh, they didn't, so no license to play it. Take Definitely. it back, you're out. Okay, so how do you rank it? Number nine, right?
0: Uh, you're probably right, but let me just make
3: sure. Yes, number nine.
4: Okay, I have your beat, it's number eight.
3: Oh, okay.
2: Now, uh, Stuart, you might as well uh, give the proper pronunciation. What exactly is that track called? That track's called Eily Done. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh God, I forgot.
1: Again, that's twice. 200 different I've done that. Uh, a long time ago when I was a daft boy, I read a poem by a man called Hugh McDermott. And the poem was called A Drunk Man Looks at the Thistle, which was quite apt, And it inspired me to write this song. And the song is actually about knowing who you are and what you're about. And it's called I Lead On.
0: Okay, I lead on. I'm glad this worked out for me to speak about because this song is just everything that is genius about big country to me. I mean, it's all encapsulated here. Um, gosh, it's, it's hard to even begin. But so I, I guess the best place to begin on this song is to talk just briefly about kind of what inspired it. And we, we talked a little bit about Hugh McDermott, this this Scottish poet. And there was, there was a particularly a, a piece that he wrote called A Drunk Man Looks at the, at the Thistle. And... Apparently, this is an incredibly lengthy poem. I mean, I think it was I read that it was like almost three thousand lines. Yeah. and i started I started to try to read it, but it's written in in uh, in Scots. and uh, if that if that's the proper, it's written in literary Scots was the term that was used. And you know, I can't make heads or tail of some of it. so i, I it was too frustrating for me to read. But this guy was actually a communist and he was a Scottish nationalist, as you mentioned. but um what Stuart said uh, was that, quote Quoting Stewart, he said, he had this idea for Scotland that was modern and vital and outward-looking and not one that was just a sentimental picture of clans, whiskey, and bagpipes, a country that was part of the world. I don't think I can ever put things as well as he did. So Stewart was really reading about reading his work a lot before he was wrote The Seer, and obviously this kind of inspired him to write the song I Lead On, which is what Stewart has said is kind of about a fictitious place that he created – and he created that name. Now, what's interesting, when I was doing a little research on this, is that there's a place in Scotland. Stuart wasn't quite as creative on this as, as maybe we would think, because there's a place in Scotland called Ildon Hills. And it's exactly the same spelling as I lead on, except without the E. So it's E-I-L-D-O-N. And it's a place in Scotland that's considered to be um, a, a mystical place. It has it has kind of a a, a lot of lore about it. Um, and I'm, I'm reading from something from the Wikipedia page about this place. And it said it, beneath these hills, uh, it's rumor. It's the, the lore is that someone named Thomas the Rhymer spent seven years with the fairy queen who rewarded him with the gift of prophecy, which, of course, ties into the whole seer thing. Here also it is said that King Arthur and his knights lie in enchanted sleep. Um, and I always thought that was interesting because I bet a lot of that work that stewart did on restless natives only a year before might have inspired some of this too because you know we've got the whole idea from us restless natives of the heroes under the hills mm-hmm. and and in fact maybe that's even what that line was in reference to was this isled hills place but i'm sure that must have influenced stewart someday because you've you've got the lines about the heroes under the hills asleep and one day they'll come back from restless natives and there's also talk that this place was like a a place of ceremonial gatherings, uh, according to scholars back in ancient times. So uh, the coincidence is just too much here to think that Stuart did not create the name on based on this place, Aildon Hills.
4: Excellent research. Uh, it almost duplicates mine to the letter, except uh, <laughs> except I have a second source for the naming of the song as well. Uh, it's, oh, cool. It seemed that Stewart seemed to rework two different words and concepts. Uh, first, there is the eildon, which, as you noted, is a historically notable spot and all of that. Uh, second, there is a word, eidolon, uh, which suggests something which is seen but not quite real. Mm. And uh, this word can connect something dark and ominous, as in Stuart's warning that reckoning is drawing near. But it can also mean an ideal an imaginary thing which is yearned for by the writer. And by combining these two distinct words, eildon and eidolon, he gets eilidon. This is just my wow. theory. I'm not putting words in anyone's mouth, but that's what I get out of this. Uh, so eilidon then becomes Stuart's uh, own ideal place to call my own. So eilidon is the imaginary place, but it still provides strength to see the future through. In the same way that uh you know, protagonist in his poem reflects on the past and imagines a future Scotland. Right. And uh, here Stewart elegantly imagined his own. So uh, I think the song is both a tribute to and a comment on McDermott's version. That's
0: great. That and that makes perfect sense. I wouldn't, I, I'm sure that's probably true without a doubt. And um, yeah, I mean, just musically, this song starts out with that beautiful Ebo part. And I don't think there's ever been a, a more beautiful big country intro except, you know, be All Fall Together rivals it. I, I kind of put those two together as just the, the most beautiful big country intros of all time. You've got that great introduction, and then it kicks in. Um, gosh, there's just so much to say about this song. I mean, we've got I, – I guess I'm not going to – I'll let you talk more about the music if you want. Um, I mean, talk about whatever you want, obviously, but – uh, the music is fantastic, basically. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> we we get it. We get it. <laughs> yeah. But my, my favorite parts really are the lyrics. I, I think that Stuart, I don't know if he's ever written a better song lyrically. I, I just think every line of this song is, I mean, they, they make me tear up. They give me chills. Even today, I, I can never get tired of hearing this song. I mean, some of the standouts, So let me fill my children's hearts with heroes' tales and hope it starts. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. And then to me, the the line that always just destroys me and the part of the song that always just destroys me is when we get to that final... That's just it's just beyond belief to me how beautiful those lines are. And I I just think this is a this is a song that whatever whatever shortcomings might have might be in some other songs on this album. I think the the sheer amazing brilliance of this song lifts those up as well. And that's why I, I still really rate this album as being right alongside the first two because of a song like this.
4: Oh, that's incredible. (laughs) <laughs> Are you ready for me to break your heart now?
0: You you won't break my heart, but go
4: ahead. <laughs> uh, I'll make a decent stab. No, I it, it is a good song. Go, or, ahead, wor-
0: go, go ahead worm tongue. tongue. Go ahead worm
4: tongue. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a good song. No no doubt about it, but um, uh not a perfect song. And I have to admit I'm torn. And a part of me agrees with you. The song is gorgeous. Of course it is. It's a beautiful ballad totally done in big country style. And in some ways, it's bliss in musical form. And where you sort of say, that is perfect, to me, therein lies some of the problem. Uh, We have spoken about it before, how a lot of their songs often have a dark side to them. And this song is totally devoid of that. And uh, kind of like, if you go to the darkest of the dark, you have Living by Memory. And on the far opposite side, I think you have Aylidon. And uh, that makes me realize that Big Country are really masters of the dark side. Come to the dark side. The dark side of humanity. <laughs> the, the struggles, the fights. Songs of hope. Songs of working and toiling ahead. And this is a song really beyond any of that. And It's an everything's fantastic song. And and Stuart sings a Leadon, and I will be there. And to summarize... So i don't take
0: it that way, but yeah, go
4: ahead. Yeah, to summarize, maybe I would have liked this song better if he had sung a lead on. Maybe one day I'll perhaps be there if I'm lucky and work really hard and don't die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, to me, this song is the equivalent to Cherry maybe Pie. Means,
0: maybe he means when he does die. <laughs> when it, when
4: it, yeah, maybe it's heaven. Who knows? It, it could be. Uh, but uh, I really like cherry. It's one of my favorite flavors. But this song is the equivalent to Cherry Pie covered with cherry sauce, sprinkled Mm. with cherry-flavored chocolate bits and a cherry on top. (laughs) Uh, It it just becomes too much, and uh, especially the intro, and uh, where you rival this with uh, All Fall Together. This song sort of, it gets too much towards the direction and sort of tilts over. Uh, It's, um, let me see how to put it. I... I think the Ebo works best when it signals something ominous, like the interest to Lost Patrol and the Storm. I don't like it when they use it to sugarcoat things like here, and on songs like Everything I Need for That Matter. This becomes a very sugar-sweet, sort of a beautiful melody. And this might sound horrible, but this to me becomes the big controversy of Panpipes. Good lord, they made a jump from bagpipes to panpipes. And that that just it it becomes too much. It becomes too sweet. Oh, all you're the, all, insane. All the layers of cherry. But apart, you know, I'm going to go back and forth. Apart from the diabetes-inducing Ebo intro, uh, musically, <laughs> musically, I actually like the first part of the song. Um, this is where the balladry is the strongest. I mean, the first verse and. Uh, so you have at least one synapse working. I have lots of them, but I, I will go back and <laughs> forth. Uh, the thing is. And maybe I should just give my summary of the song first. Uh, It's not that I don't like the song. I do like it. And there are so many good bits to like in this song, and even love. But uh, I feel it could have been a bit better. And it feels like they settled for this version. The song is brilliant. This take on the song isn't perfect. Uh, They could have pushed themselves. And what I'm going to do is more or less point out the areas where I feel an improvement could have lifted the song to the pinnacle where you hold it. OK, okay. So, and b- before you do that, let me say let me just say one thing. I,
0: I also think there is one area where this song could be improved. And I don't want to steal your thunder, but I, I just want to say before you okay. say it, that there is one area where I think this song could be improved. So go ahead.
4: What, why don't you say it? We oh, might okay. we, we might not agree for all that matter.
0: Well, I, I think that I think the only thing that could make this song better is more unrestrained drumming from Mark. Um, There are parts in this song where i think the drums are great but there are parts where i really wish he would just go off almost into more of like a i don't want to say keith moon but i'm thinking that you know like more of a keith moonish type of flurry of of fills and i think it calls for a little bit more unrestrained drumming from mark there are times where he's just really playing a little bit too simplistically and i know that they probably thought that's what the song called for but there are parts where the song just cranks up uh, emotionally and i wish his drums would have come up a little bit with that and that's the only part of the song that i that i would say could use a little bit of improvement just a little bit more passionate drumming from mark in places
4: okay cool that's not on my list so okay good <laughs> all right yeah so um the i like the early part of the song where the balladry is the strongest and the choruses are also good they are powerful they're fully realized the alien and I will be their part and very nice but there are some awkward transitions and especially the transition from the uh, to the first midsection You're coming out of the initial balladry and see the future through and then it goes into I choose this place, I will choose
3: this place.
4: and that transition doesn't sit that well it's a uh, it becomes awkward and strangely staccato, if you will. It's almost like the band coming out of the first totally ballady section is caught between that beginning and the more powerful chorus section that comes later. So it, it never flowed to me. It always seemed a bit strange. But when you look later in the song, where they go into that exact same section after the second roundabout, and he starts to let me fill my children's heart, it feels a lot more new, uh, natural, because they were not going into that section from a ballad intro. They came from a full band rock on middle part. So that transition flows much better. So it's really about how the song transitions into its various parts for me. That, that is part of where the song doesn't work. And um, I'm going to have a dig at the lyrics too, I'm afraid. Uh, but this is, I think, more due to personal experience and background. Uh, I grew up at a place where eagles regularly could be seen flying in the sky, and especially the hills were and still are, abundant with deer. So uh, (laughs) when I hear the song starting up with eagles soaring in the clouds and deer in the hills, okay, this is everyday writing where I come from. It's almost cliched so maybe i live in ellie and maybe the, maybe it's describing where i come from so that's that's <laughs> never impressed me for some reason all these references to eagle and deer like that is bliss that's not bliss that's where i come from that's where i grew up that's an everyday uh run of the mill description that,
0: that just shows that you are you are immune now to beauty which is what i've often suspected
4: my wife says the same thing <laughs> but, uh, but then i say i'm not i married you <laughs> but uh no uh, so Yeah, that is personal experience, I I guess. So, but uh, coming from where I come from and seeing this phrase used a lot, it's an everyday observation. Uh, But also, uh, there's a lot to like in the rest of the song. And obviously, like you, I like the "So let me feel my children's heart" and all that uh, that section. That is gorgeous, uh, very nice. I like it a lot. And uh, the last thing I'm going to say or make a special deal of, like yourself, I don't want to sit here all night. uh, A word about the singing. Uh, I actually have an issue with the female backing vocals.
2: Well, first of all, wait a minute, you've got June Miles Kingston, and uh, she's a drummer. Yes, that's right, but she's also an absolutely splendid singer. Not a lot of people know this, <laughs> but uh, we were uh, looking for someone to, to sing some uh, female backing vocals. And uh, it was Robin Miller, actually, that recommended her, because he'd worked with her. He's the producer? Yeah, with uh, um, Everything But The Girl. She'd sung with him a couple of times and came in and her voice matched up to mine perfectly. And uh, it was brilliant. She's possibly going to be doing some live work with us in the future.
4: There's no personality, no emotion, no nothing. I feel they're just singing along. Hitting each note perfectly. It's technically sound, but they don't add any emotion or personal touch. So it lets the song down. And especially after the powerhouse performance of Kate Bush earlier in the album, this is phoned in by comparison. And uh, it's, it's not that I expect everybody to be of Kate's caliber But at least try and give it your all. And uh, part of, uh, you know, this is ranked against Stewart's performance vocally. And he sings wonderfully in this song. And I have to say, uh, I have to really give him credit on this song. His vocals are really good on I on. And despite everything I've said, his performance on this song vocal-wise might well be his best vocal performance on this album and possibly one of the better ones of his career. It really, really hits it. He really sounds emotional and uh, such a strong delivery. So yeah, you can tell he's you can tell he's feeling those lyrics when he's singing it. Yeah, really. So uh, so that pulls the song definitely towards the positive end for me. Uh, so it's a shame that the female backing vocals don't live up to to Stewart's uh, you know set bar for this well, song, so to speak. I-
0: I kind of look at those background vocals as just a really nice, subtle uh, shade in the painting. I mean, it, it, I don't think that song calls for something like Kate Bush.
4: Who, no, who, definitely who, not. But it needs to know, have emotion. Uh,
0: I I do feel it. I feel the emotion there. I mean, it, I think Stewart being the central, you know, voice of that song. I think, in a sense, there's 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 almost no room for anything else other than shading in that song. And and to me, that female vocal. There's something about it that just blends really nicely with his with his song, to, to the point of I'm almost not even aware of it sometimes.
4: Which yeah, I but think... that is fine. And uh, I don't want really anything else. But it's uh, I, I could have pulled out examples from various pieces of music where I think the, the subtle background drips with emotion and not just technically – Hits the notes and has the right volume and, and those things. So there's something there that doesn't click. And uh, the same singer is on the "Remembrance Day," so we'll talk about that later. But she does a better yeah. job there.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. We'll have to agree to disagree on that because I, I think she, I definitely hear sure. emotion in her voice, but uh, I like her on there. But I think you I think you've. Um, Take in the lyrics, at least from my perspective, in the wrong way. I mean, when I when I listen to this song, I don't think bliss. I don't think, oh, everything's perfect. To me, it's a sad. It's almost a sad, melancholy song. Uh, it's it's kind of like a longing type of song. And for for me, when I hear these words, they almost they're so beautiful that they almost um, how should I put this? They almost are, are a, a reflection of how you know crappy the the real world can be. That's what I'm thinking. It's like the, the real world can be such a brutal, awful place, and this is something that we're longing for. But but in that longing, it almost makes the the reality of the world that we do live in even more a little bit in your face. So when, when I hear this song, I don't for even a second think of it as being sugary sweet or everything's great or or anything like that. To me, it, it makes me uh, just feel it it just gives me a real melancholy feel. Like I say, it makes me tear up quite often when I hear this song and it, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a sad feeling because it's not sad. There's a hopefulness to it, but, but to me it's, it's like the best of the, of the positive big country songs. And then I definitely see, I feel a darkness in this song, but I feel someone like struggling to emerge from that darkness, but I still feel the darkness in the song. Um, Like references to the wolf that had his fill and all that kind of stuff. I mean, to me, this is yeah. like a song of, of, of something that has not been realized. It's something that we want, but we even, we all kind of know deep down that we'll never find a place like this.
4: Uh, we definitely see that differently because there's yeah. no there's no real reference to to this. So that's that's how you how each person reads it. Uh, he's definitely describing a lot of hope, like. Uh, Uh, He starts with describing uh, Sort of a dream place And here is strength for us to find Here we can make it I have hope for the future The children uh, carry the torch And I will be there My dream is there And it doesn't really say Where the starting point is Whether it's awful or good Or what it is But there's just hope And uh, I don't see the darkness I don't see uh, where the awfulness That he comes from is I see no references really to it But uh, you know it, it, that, it's that, not, that, that's the beauty it, of the song, really, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not specific references, but that's
0: just the way that I take it. It's just, I, yeah. I, I just feel like those, you know, I, I, I and you can hear it in his voice. I mean, when I hear him singing, I don't hear him singing happily. I mean, I, I hear him singing hopefully, but incredibly emotional, like we talked about. I mean.
4: Yeah, he does he, that. He's really could, uh, he's really could, feeling this place and, and feeling the hope and he's touched by it more than sad by it.
0: Yeah, and clear and clearly, whatever the place is, he's not there, you know, and, and that's I think that emotion comes from wanting to be in a place like that so badly. But yeah, I it, yeah, this is uh, we we definitely disagree on this song in a lot of respects, but uh,
4: yeah, uh, but what, uh, what is, I can summarize in one line how I feel about it. I like the song a lot, but I always had a feeling that the potential of the song is bigger than the actual performance of it.
0: Mm. All right, good. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, to me, it, to me, the potential is realized here with the one exception that I spoke about earlier with the drumming. Um, the last thing I'll say about this, uh, getting back to the live performances of these songs, this is one of those songs that I think a lot of us, uh, certainly I did. I know there were others who used to always dream about hearing this song live, like, man, why can't they ever play on Finally, they played it on the Why the Long Face Tour with that Brighton Rock CD that came out. I was so excited to hear I on live and they did a really good job of it. I like I like the version that they did. Yeah. Um it was a it was a little fast maybe, but maybe that works better live. Yeah. But the one the one thing about it that drove me crazy and I do I know it bothered other people too and I still to this day can't figure out why and why this happened, but one of my favorite lines in the song Stewart says Wipe our eyes of misty years, y e a r s, which to me is a oh a, there yeah yeah a really nice poetic line, and then for some reason live every time he says
1: and wipe our of misty, see the misty tears yeah I know yeah which to
0: me, which is such a pedestrian line that totally destroys. How beautiful that other line was. Yeah, so the I song sucks now. <laughs> it does definitely does not suck, but it's it's marred significantly. Hmm. Because I I just don't get why I don't understand why he would change that. Did he did he did he really think that it was tears? Did he which did he think that tears was actually better, which I really would find hard to believe. So, you know, who knows what the what the situation was. Uh, maybe that would be a good question for for we have, someone.
4: We have to listen to other recordings from that tour and see if it was just a mistake that night or if he actually repeated it. I, I've heard it on subsequent subsequent performances of that song. I know okay. that I have. Then so, he probably thought that was it.
0: That, yeah, and that's, that's surprising to me. But, you know, I, I guess it's, uh, maybe it shouldn't be because I remember asking him once about – the song can you feel the winter and he didn't even remember that he recorded
4: that song so. <laughs> right so obviously this ranks very high for you is it number one yes yeah <laughs>
0: st- I, le- I lead on as number one as Stupid I said question of the day well there, there is another one that rivals this and I,
4: I really really went back and forth
0: on it because there's another one that I love almost as much but I, I had to go with I lead on so that yeah number one mm.
4: and uh, I rank it as number six <laughs> freaking crazy yeah that's how i felt right. when you ranked the seer number six that was my number one
0: <laughs> what was the C? oh yeah that's right it was number one wasn't it
4: yeah oh, how, how
0: interesting that's very interesting actually
4: yeah isn't it and now we come to one great thing and uh yeah allegedly one great thing <laughs> uh, before I get into the song, I will take a step back uh, and look at the series as a whole. Uh, this is really the first big country album with what I would call lightweight material on it. There are songs that either have lightweight subject matter, lightweight lyrics, and definitely a more popular, pop-oriented musical approach. And one great thing, to be honest, is one of the main culprits of all of this. Uh, it's a pop song. It's lightweight. And I'm not slagging lightweight. I don't want to slag the song because of what it is. But uh, I find that I could slam it a bit for what it isn't. And primarily, I feel this song isn't made for big country fans. I feel it very strongly as a constructed pop song, uh, where the subject matter is lightweight, it's easily digestible, it's made for mass consumption, which means that by definition it's seeking an audience outside of the core big country fans. And this is problematic on some level. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with with trying to expand your fan base, but be careful not to alienate your existing fans. And I will not say they went that far here, but in hindsight, I quite honestly and very strongly see songs like one great thing as a natural step towards peace in our time. And, and coming from me, that is not a compliment. <laughs> I strongly dislike what Peace In Our Time represents in the Big Country catalog. And although The Seer definitely isn't on Peace In Our Time's level at all, uh, there is still the overall issue that any album that points the way towards something like Peace In Our Time really starts going in the wrong direction, for me at least. Uh, it may not be that songs like One Great Thing are so horrible in themselves, um, I may, I may retract that later, but it does represent something negative. It signals a move away from songs about pain and truth and things that matter towards something else entirely. And uh, even though One Great Thing has all the big country trademarks in it, and as likable as those are, things are, again, way too sugar-coated. And especially coming off an album like Steel Town, which to my ears is one of the very best albums in the history of mankind. And then we go from that to this they come back with singles like Look Away and One Great Thing. So this is just to provide some context here and looking at the bigger picture. Uh, if the fourth album hadn't been Peace in Our Time, but the Ariel Tapes or Steel Town Part 2, maybe it would have been a lot more forgiving to the more lightweight moments on this year, as they would have been more like fun experiments instead of the start of something that would not just be continued, but really developed to the more extreme, on the next album especially. Um, and that's the start of a direction which, which seriously d- detracted from the strengths of the band and driving away a lot of their existing fans. And I, I really regard this as a misfire. It all started on a seer with songs just like this one. So if I try to judge this song merely on its own merits, for starters, it's clearly not very deep. it is lightweight and uh, even though we, we all want peace uh, we all seen too much fighting but we also have seen hundreds of songs wanting peace that offer no deep thought on the subject matter beyond just wanting peace and being sick and tired of being sick and tired and while i agree wholeheartedly with the subject matter the song still manages to give me literally nothing it's such a huge letdown when we know what the band was capable of right. so what we basically have here is our rallying cry almost like uh, in the same vein as john lennon's give peace a chance it's it's the same vein, but uh, that song doesn't say much more than the title itself either. It's 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 just a slogan. You see it on the banner in a protest march. The difference being that "Give Peace a Chance" is a much better slogan than "One Great Thing."
0: And the thing that made the, Stewart's anti-war messages so much more effective in the past was that he told personal stories, like "Where the Rose Is Sown" or "Come Back to Me." You know, personal yep. personal tales that you can really empathize with and feel real senses of uh of emotion and the loss and the pain and et cetera, et cetera. but that being said i don't have a problem with them trying to do something like one great thing in the sense of them trying to do something a little bit lighter i don't think everything you know has to be so depressing and down and, and that's fine that they want to choose you know try to do a more upbeat song and, and it certainly sounds like big country i mean it's 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 got all of the uh you know the bagpipe guitar sounds. It's got big country type chord progressions, and but it's big country by numbers basically. And I think it's I think it's big country by numbers. You know, it's it more than any other song on this album. Uh, th- this was also this was the first big country song when I heard this that I really started, some little questions started to creep in for me like hmm. And I, I remember I had uh, I had a really good friend at the time who. I we became friends through Big Country, which happened so much in my life. But this was years ago before the internet or anything. We we happened to attend uh, the same school, the same college, and and um we we got this album and we were listening to it, and, and this guy was much more of a musical snob than me. Yeah, you know, he didn't like he wouldn't like anything if it became successful and he you know, so Big Country was starting to become fairly successful and he was already a little bit stepping back a little. But what really set him off was the end of this song. And uh, and I have to admit, when I heard the end of this song, I was like, oh, what is that? And I'm talking about that little. When I first heard that, I just thought, what what is this? You know, and it it seems like that's something that only a a complete purist type of person who's maybe overanalyzing the song would fixate on. But it really was something So different for me and something that I would not have expected to hear in a Big Country song. That one little guitar line, that to me is what I point to when I say this is the beginning of Big Country kind of going in a direction I really didn't want them to go for a few years. And, you know, saying all of that, I do still think there are some really good things about it musically. Um, It's not a song that I hate. It's not a song that I... Despise, of course you know yeah i mean it's you know it's not something like i can't stand to listen to this in fact in preparing for uh, for this podcast i you know i listened to the seer a couple of times all the way through which i hadn't done in a long time and then i cranked this song up and i actually kind of enjoyed it and the chorus to me is the weakest part of the song but
4: yeah I'd i agree
0: yeah i mean i really like the verses and um you know i'm not really talking necessarily about lyrics here i'm talking more about music but um Kind of like Look Away, that the one thing that I do respect about this song is that even though it's a pop song, they really didn't dial down the musicianship in this much at all. I mean, because we've still got great, crazy bass playing from Tony. You know, he's moving all over the fretboard. Um, there's, yeah, uh,
4: it, it's called Polishing a Turd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go that far. But uh, yeah, it's... You know, there there is a lot of good there's a lot of good stuff in there and there's a lot of good playing from Mark and there's also like this cool little there's this cool little dissonant guitar part throughout the verses. It's just like one little note. I like that little little touch. Um and I also really like the breakdown section, I gotta admit, when the When everything breaks down in the middle, and he's like, "I've seen too much of what fighting has done," and then you get the chant in the background, which which is a little over the top, maybe, but yes, I I, I like, (laughs) yeah, I do like it. Um, I
3: don't, I hate it. it
0: But you know, one thing I think we could both agree on hating when it comes to this song, and we haven't touched on yet, is the fact that this became an advertisement.
3: One great thing from Big Country, our beatbox guest today. You're laughing during that as well, fellas. What's so funny about that? Uh, is it a while since you've seen that one?
1: Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's funny because that's the uh, the uh, song which we um, supplied to a certain company for a beer commercial in Scotland.
3: You know. I want to talk about that as a matter of fact. Huey Lewis was in this uh, studio not so long ago, and he was uh, he was he wasn't exactly giving out about people who who get involved in deals like that, but he was sort of saying that he would certainly never do it for for. Very, all the right yeah. reasons. So, so how come you guys got involved? In the well, I, th- I
1: think that uh, there the, well, the reason that, that we got involved in it was quite basically that we needed the money we were skinned. It <laughs> <Well, laughs> right was, was right in the middle of all our business troubles. <laughs> hmm, we're going to get some dosh, you know. Because yeah. uh, not, not only do we have to be responsible for ourselves, but there's other people who, uh, who rely on us for their, 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 their uh, living as well, you know.
4: I think it is perfectly fine that they did it. I think it's perfectly fine that they got paid for it. What I don't think is fine is that they made the song to begin with. So I don't blame them for <laughs> I don't blame them for capitalizing on anything they've ever made. But I wish they had capitalized on a better song. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I actually asked um, Bruce about this by email because there was some talk about it on the on the page and um I, a lot of people had said that the band actually went back and re-recorded the entire song. Now, I didn't believe that. I thought, why would they re-record the entire song? Why wouldn't they just um use the the music track and then dub the new lyrics over top of it I mean that would seem to make the most sense so I asked Bruce about that and sure enough he confirmed it they really re-recorded the entire song and, <laughs> and, and here's what he said I mean it now it may not have been the entire song it may just have been you know a small uh, arrangement of it for the commercial but he says um, we re-recorded one great thing at Castle Sound in Penn-Kaitland, in Pencaitland period the ad company came up with the lyrics and after the ad was shown, we never played it again. Looking back, it was good money, but Stewart felt he couldn't sing it afterwards. So Stewart, you know, it obviously must have bothered him, I think, too. And mm. and, and since we're talking about these lyrics, and, and now we have confirmation that the ad company actually wrote these lyrics, um, I transcribed them on uh, on the page, and I got a little correction from someone, and we I think we've got the final version now. But it's if there's one great thing that no one can deny, if there's one great sight in this one great land, let it be the one I know. Let me take it in my hand. If there's one great thing that no one can deny, I've seen too much of what others have done. Uh, I've heard too much of the songs they have sung. Their words have failed to sway me from what I know is true. For once you taste perfection, then nothing else will do.
4: <laughs> I mean, I'm, what... I'm, I'm just thinking apart from the last line, what does this have to do with beer? <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: But the, the last thing I'll say about this song is that they did eventually play it again, and it was on their acoustic tour, um, which I think happened after the Buffalo Skinners. We'd
1: like to play a song for you now that we haven't actually played on stage since at least a fortnight. But actually, what I am really is, we haven't played on stage since about 1986, one thing So some of you may not even have been born then. But I certainly wasn't. 1986, Into the Valley. My God, there's a guy who's got his dates next <laughs> to him. Someone was obviously supplying you with lots of drugs very cheaply. Anyway, <laughs> bring my mother,
3: my mother! Who's that? I'm a mother, to Tell her you're talking about
1: her! Yeah, I can't help a man. <laughs> uh, At least a bat's smooth. <laughs> Wait, I was gonna tell a wee story here. See, he disrupted me there. I was into my stand-up act.
3: <laughs>
1: Sorry, I was into my sit-down... Uh, for oh, <laughs> you better believe it.
3: <laughs>
1: Plenty of red meat here. Anyway, okay, about the story. So, we stopped playing the song about 1986 because, basically, I couldn't play it on stage without uh, bursting out laughing because <laughs> it got made into a beer on the telly. The song's called "One Great Thing."
0: So at least they brought it out again, but yeah. Mm. So it's number nine for you, nine and, for me, and it's number ten for me. Okay, so now we come to hold the heart. This is certainly maybe a first for for Stuart as far as being a, a breakup type of song, but I really love this song. I, I have to admit, um, and just a little personal story: this song really came to mean a lot to me when uh, shortly after it came out, I had one of my first breakups, my first big breakups in my life, and I was I was dumped. <laughs> I remember sitting there listening to this song quite a bit, you know, and being upset and thinking all
4: day in your room, playing it over and over again.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The lyrics really captured that feel so well, you know, especially certain lines that I'll mention here. But um, musically, um, I really like this song quite a bit. Uh, It's it's got a really nice ebo portion uh, of the song that that plays a beautiful melody that works very well, I think. Um, once again, we've got the the clean guitars that are so prevalent in this album. I think there there's some really interesting guitar parts here. Um, but to me, the star of this song is definitely the lyrics. I, I think whereas one great thing is is one of Stewart's weakest lyrics and and really kind of bland and just you know too big and not personal enough. This song to me is just the opposite. This is one of his I think this is one of his best lyrical efforts. Um, in his entire catalog, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever I'm I'm sure I ha- probably have heard something that's comparable or maybe even exceeds this, but I can't think of it right now as far as a set of lyrics that that captures so beautifully the feeling of you know love lost and there are just so many incredible lines in here that are just so intensely personal and and uh, and beautiful and you know, some of the some of the ones that really stand out to me. Um, This one, especially when he says, I would wait a 100 years to hear you say my name the way you did before he came the way you will again At, at the time when when that pain happens to you or when that hurt happens to you and you feel so intensely emotional. I mean, lines like that are exactly exactly sum up how you feel. And and then there's just some other beautiful lines that that just to this day give me chills because they not because they necessarily apply to me like some of the other ones other lines did but just because they are such a nice part of this story that he's telling and one of those to me is i mean what a great poetic way to describe you know the love that's been lost here um and then another line to me that that really gets back to that abstract lyric writing that I love about Stewart's writing, and my 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 favorite way that he writes. Uh, and and this line, I think I don't 100% understand exactly what he's saying here, but yet it's again it's one of those lines that's just so poetic and beautiful that I it I gets I get it I I understand it on a deeper level, and that is. Um, But there's one huge problem with this, and it's it's the big flaw of the song, and it's something that I think was a, was an issue with a lot of Stewart's writing and singles, and it's just way too long. I mean, the song is just way too long, and it, it's it's almost six minutes long. It's almost exactly six minutes. It may even be the longest song on the album. I'm not sure. But when, you, but when you think of long epics on this album, you think of The Sailor, you think of I Lead On, you think of something else, you don't think Hold the Heart, and yet hold the heart is as i believe the longest song on the album so you know at six minutes you've got a song that is meant to be a single and that's that that's just crazy
4: and if you look at uh, through a big country uh, which may be a reflection of how the single flopped this song wasn't on it uh, and this is this is the only song released as a single thus far in their career up to through a big country that wasn't included wasn't included on through a big country so uh, that's fairly interesting I said it last time, if the teacher could be a single, the seer could be a single. And the same applies here. If Hold the Heart with its length could be a single, then the seer with its shorter length could be a single. So I'm going to try in about how that song should have been a single, if only because of the Kate Bush connection. But uh, that's neither here nor there right now. And Hold the Heart was clearly uh, not a single song with its six minutes uh, monumentalness.
0: So maybe this shouldn't have been a single at, at all and just should have stood on its own, but...
4: I think in hindsight there's no defending this choice yeah. the problem being in hindsight right <laughs> as a ballad it uh it might have been something that i thought okay not my favorite song on the album but maybe i still think we should give it a shot but um this uh to me is the second ballad on the album uh with a lead on being the first and uh i had some criticisms there on how sugar sweet it uh, was on uh, on I lead on that Ebo intro uh, on this one it works better for me the Ebo sells the song a bit uh, and the song itself is fairly good the lyrics are well thought out and, and like you said you know I don't know if there's any examples left for me to choose but uh, they really do paint the picture of unrequited love and denial about this which is what really uh, makes it such a standout it's a it's all about denial yeah. This is uh, like a song, not a love song, not a dump song, but a denial song. Like you, you'll be back, you know. I know. Right. And uh, and really, that bridge is uh, is one of my favorite uh, sections. Like I know the way that you left me was only to test me, and I was vain. But <laughs> right. I will I will be strong, and I will be warm, and no one will come near me until you hear me just once again. <laughs> yeah. That little stanza there, so enc- great, encapsulates the entire song. It, ca- it it captures everything. That's it's what right. it's about. So um. Uh it might have taken years before I actually got into the song enough to understand it. To me it was a boring love song when I first heard it. Uh, and I uh, as a teen I wasn't interested in love songs. Uh I wasn't interested in those kind of love songs. Well you you didn't even and discover I thought the, it was too long.
0: You didn't even discover the emotion of love until you were like in your 30s, is, is right? That's what I remember <laughs> hearing.
4: You're, you're cutting that one out. <laughs> 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 that's what All you right. call sabotage my friend <laughs> it really is a song about uh, unrequited love and denial So, uh, and it's, fa- it's fairly brilliantly done yeah. there's no denying it those lyrics are fantastic uh, but uh, the problem remains the song length even though I uh, have warmed considerably to the song over the years uh, it is too long it goes on far too long, yeah. and um, six minutes, seven seconds to be precise. That's, <laughs> wow! That, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's
3: crazy. Especially,
4: uh, especially the long instrumental sections drag out a bit. Yeah. Uh, there are fairly long sections between each verse and between each verse that uh, they wouldn't have had any difficulty shortening it quite a bit. I was going to say, yeah.
0: I was going to say those those instrumental interludes where they basically play the same as as what's played in the opening. Th- those could have definitely been removed and. That could have helped a lot. Yeah.
4: What makes it okay is that uh, the ebo is fairly uh, nicely played over those sections, even though it's the same thing over and over and over and over right. again. And uh, especially when they play the song live, they replace the ebo with some more simple guitar picking, just like the the teacher. I think they replaced uh, some guitar parts with just some picking.
0: Yeah, he's playing it like on the lower lower strings, and it's got that Western yeah. feel again to it. This is- they did that, though. When I, when I Now that I think about it more, I mean, you would think that Bruce could have played the Evo part, and Stewart could have played the chords, and maybe it was just too much of a hassle. I, I often got the feeling that they thought whipping out the EBO live became just too much of a hassle for them, <laughs> like, especially as the yeah. tours wore on, because even even later, I remember on King of Emotion, early when they used to play King of Emotion, they would bring out the EBO for that very brief EBO part, and then as they yeah. got on, they were just like, forget it, I'm just playing this regularly. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> no one will notice. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> well, as someone who has played an Ebo on stage, I will have to say that it is kind of strange when you play it and you're finished. You don't know where to put it. It's like, where do I put it now? I've got to keep playing. You just kind of drop it on the floor. So you know, maybe it, maybe that was part of it. I don't know. Yeah. So, but anyway, we're we're digressing.
4: Yeah. And uh, like I mentioned already, uh, this is the only song that they released as a single in the 80s that wasn't included on Through a Big Country. Which yeah, that's that's may, very interesting. Yeah, so that that is, and uh, obviously it's a reflection on how bad the single flopped. It wasn't yeah. a success, it wasn't a hit, and it still was too long. But uh, interestingly, and this yet again brings me back to my previous point, instead of including Hold a Heart on Through a Big Country, they included The Seer, which wasn't a single.
0: Very interesting.
4: And, and I've always said it should have been a single, but it was included on Through a Big Country in the place of an actual single. Wow. So again, raises the point I made: correct choice of songs for singles. And uh, I even think a full-length version of the seer would have done much better than Hold the Heart. So uh, you're probably I, right. At least with I'm, the I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty clear in my opinion of this. So Hold the Heart, much like uh, the teacher, was the wrong choice for a single. Should never have been it. So uh, obviously, I'm saying this with the benefit of hindsight, but. I, I know if they had pushed for the Seer instead, with the Kate Pushing name, it, it would have it would have beat number 55. Okay, so hold the heart. I rank it right
0: below the Seer at number seven.
4: I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so I rank it as number seven, too.
0: You know, it's funny how Swine and I criticize the song for being too long, and we ended up talking about it for about 20 minutes. So we're going to have to stop things here for part two of our Seer trilogy. We'll be back next time with episode 16, which will be part three, the third and final part of the trilogy. And we will continue to talk about the songs we haven't gotten to yet, and we'll offer our final thoughts on the album. So hope you enjoy it. And thanks so much again, everyone, for your feedback. It really means a lot. We really appreciate it. You can give us that feedback at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook page, The Great Divide Podcast. You can visit us on iTunes, leave some comments there. Just search for The Great Divide Big Country Podcast under podcasts on iTunes. And uh, check my music out, too. i got to give that plug. Reverb Nation slash Thomas Kerchival. If you want to hear some of my original music, I would appreciate your listening and commenting. And that's about it. We will see you guys next time, and we're looking forward to it. Hopefully you've enjoyed this series and can't wait to uh, deliver the last one. So we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.